0: Well, good morning again. We are continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of 1 John. We're in 1 John chapter 5, looking at the first five verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand, and Stu and Richard have Bibles in their hands. They'll bring one right to your seats. So you can follow along with us. 1 John chapter 5, the first five verses. John writes, beginning in verse 1, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. The title of my study this morning is Rebirth Marks. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together, to be in this place where we can be in your word freely, Lord. uh, uh, And just open to be able to hear from you, Lord. We thank you for this place that we live in, this building you provided for us. Lord, we thank you for the great time of worship, Lord, we've just been able to focus our hearts on you and how great and powerful and mighty you are. And now, Lord, as we look to your word, we pray that we would have open hearts to receive all that you have to say to us this morning. We pray, Father, if there's anyone here that is yet to know you as their Lord and as their Savior, that they would uh, learn of you through your word and they would come to faith in you and your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for this time together, Lord. We pray your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, in a family, we all have resemblances. Someone will say, oh, you look just like your dad. Or, oh, you look just like your mom. We also have mannerisms that are the same. You know, you look at, oh, I do the same thing that my brother does. We do this and we do that. In my family growing up, we all discovered that we have what we have labeled the Humphrey Look. We're just so intently looking at something. We're staring at something that we just seem to get this Humphrey look. And the, the jaw drops. It's kind of. And uh, not very flattering. And I've done all that I could to not give in to that. But every now and then, my wife will tell me, you've got the Humphrey look. It's like, oh, dang it. Interesting story. Uh, Tamara Rabbi. she arrived at Hofstra University. Fellow students seemed unusually friendly to her. People she had never laid eyes on her would smile at her and wave her like she was this good friend. As a new student, Tamara was caught off guard by this behavior. A few people said that she looked like someone else that they knew. Tamara just figured it was probably someone else from Mexico. So when a friend of a friend showed up at her 20th birthday party and could not stop staring at her, he couldn't take it anymore. Finally, this guy named Justin told her that she looked exactly like his friend Adriana Scott, who was also born in Mexico. Well, as they talked further, other odd similarities emerged. Adriana was adopted just like Tamara was. They both shared the same birthday. Justin instead uh, insisted rather they had to be sisters, but Tamara shook her head said she was an only child. Kind of like the movie Parent Trap, if you've seen that. Still she agreed to let Justin set up a meeting, first over the internet just to see why everyone kept staring at her, and then through instant messaging. They soon discovered that they were indeed both born in Mexico on the same day, were both exactly five feet three inches and three and three quarter inches tall, both loved to dance, both used pantene shampoo, but it was an age when uh, Adriana sent a picture of herself that the shock finally hit. The picture of Adriana was, was Tamara all over again, minus a small birthmark Tamara had on her eyebrow. So the twins agreed to meet the following Sunday at McDonald's, parking lot near Hofstra, a world away from the Guadalajara Hospital where they had last been together. see, they were indeed twins, separated by birth, both thinking they were only childs. Well, after lunch, they went to each other's homes to meet their mothers, both of whom reacted the same way. Jaws dropped. They stared wide-eyed and overwhelmed by the family resemblance they two shared. Radically, radically different upbringings and experiences could not erase the obvious. They shared a common DNA. It connected them to each other. Now, today, both sisters have graduated college with a degree in psychology and spent a lot of time with one another. But they were discovered by how they looked. They resembled one another. They shared a common DNA that connected them to one another. Well, the same thing is true for us as born-again believers. Though totally different upbringings, we all share the common DNA, so to speak, that connects us together, and that is Jesus Christ. And we should have the family features, the rebirth marks that unbelievers do not possess. See, John has told us through this little epistle that the authentic marks of a true Christian are righteousness, their truth, it's love. If you're truly born again in the family of God, there will be certain characteristics that will set you apart from the rest of the world but will link you together with other believers. Three of them that I want to point out particularly this morning, three family resemblances we all should have as brothers and sisters in the family of God. Number one... We should appreciate God's people. Number two, we would, we should apply God's principles. And number three, we should appropriate God's power. All three of these things we should have in common as believers. Now before we get to point one, John starts out in verse five, kind of setting the ground rules. He says in verse five, verse one, rather chapter five, verse one, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Now, you have to be in the family first in order to resemble one another. Now, you may have your own, what they call it, a doppelganger. You know, a person who looks just like you, but you're really not related to you. But but they're really not a part of your family. John makes it very clear that if you believe in Jesus Christ, then you've been born again into God's family. Now, since it's a matter of life and death, I think it's very important that we understand what that word believe means. When we talk about uh, being a, a Bible-believing, uh, or believing, uh, believing in Christ, rather, for salvation. It's not talking about a, a mere intellectual belief or an intellectual agreement to a set of facts. In fact, James tells us in James 2.19, you believe there, there is one God you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. No, there's more to just believing on a, on a set of, uh, of facts, agreeing on some facts. The idea is, 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 is more so the commitment, the trust, the reliance of one's life upon the fact that Jesus is the Christ. I think a good illustration of this is an, an airplane, you know. An airplane is a pretty good example because in our society today, it does take a certain amount of faith to fly in a plane. I mean, you could look at the airplane on a runway and say, I believe intellectually that that plane can fly. But you haven't gotten in that plane yet. You haven't put your, your trust in that plane yet. You haven't really committed your life to that plane. But once you walk on that plane... And you sit yourself down in that plane and seat belt yourself in, and then you're saying, see, I told you, I believe that this plane can really fly. Then you've got to get off the plane because it can't fly, and you got to get on another plane because that one's broken. But my point is, you're making a commitment uh, of yourself. So this belief here is not just an intellectual belief, but it's a commitment of one's life to Jesus Christ. It means to cling to, to rely, on, to trust in Jesus Christ. And then the word Christ that John uses, it's a word that simply means Messiah, the anointed one. So John says, first and foremost, you need to make sure you're part of the family of God. How do you do that? Well, you need to believe. You need to have committed yourself to the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one. And if you have, then he says you are born of God. Now John likes to use that phrase a lot. In fact, seven times in particular he uses it, and he uses it in this chapter as well. Not only was it a favorite term of his, but he also makes it very clear that a person doesn't make it into the kingdom of God unless he is someone who has been born of God. Remember, we talked about this last time. John was there when when Jesus, uh, you know, we uh, spoke to Nicodemus and had the words that Jesus said to Nicodemus: "Unless you are are born again, you will not enter the kingdom of God." Now, it's a strange thing, and maybe you've come across this. A lot of people see born-again Christians as a type of Christianity, a type, maybe like a denomination. Well, you've got your Methodists, and you've got your Presbyterians, and you've got your Evangelicals, and you've got your born-againers. I remember talking to someone years ago and asking them if they were a Christian, and they, they told me, Well, I am, but I'm not one of those born-againers. Really? Okay, Uh, I mean, see, you know, the Scripture makes it clear. The only way to be a Christian is to be born again. I mean, if you're any kind of a true Christian, you've been born again. See, the great eternal question that God's going to ask is, well, are you Methodist? Are you Presbyterian? Are you Calvary Chapel? No. Have you been born again? Have you become a part of the family? That's the issue. Grace Stedman answers it so well for us when he writes, Everyone who believes that Jesus is his Lord, his supreme concern and authority in life, the one around whom his life is built, that one is in the family. I like that. See, John is saying that it all comes down to family resemblance. There will be certain rebirth marks that we all will share. Your life will be one that is marked by a life of obedience. John said that in chapter 1, verse 5, all the way to chapter 2, verse 6. He said, your life is going to be marked by one of love. He said that in chapter 4, and truth, and he says that again in chapter 5. Now, why would John use these marks or characteristics to determine fellowship and family resemblance? Well, the answer is simple, because our lives should be patterned after God. It should resemble God. You see, according to Genesis 1:26 and 27, we were created in the image of God. We have certain characteristics patterned after God. We have a a brain to reason with. We have a heart to feel. We have a will to make decisions. Now, we sometimes refer to those aspects of our personality as our mind, our emotion, and our will. But when a person is born of God, born again through faith in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit comes into their life to live forever. And then she or she has that fellowship with God through reading the Scriptures, studying through prayer. And as a result of the Holy Spirit in their lives, they're able to control their heart, their mind, and their will. And what happens is we become more and more like our God, like our Savior. You see, a, a spirit-controlled mind knows and understands the truth. A spirit-controlled heart feels love. A spirit-controlled will will incline itself to obedience. All these things of being born in God, we will being born of God, we will have in common. In other words, if you're a true believer, you're born again believer, then you will have a family resemblance to Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus is truth. Jesus is life. Jesus is love. And most of all, Jesus was obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross. Truth, love, obedience are three marks of one package. It's your rebirth mark, your born again mark. It proves you have have fellowship and relationship with Jesus Christ. But John takes it a step further, and that's where we finally get to point number one. If you're truly born again into the family of God, there will be other characteristics that set you apart from the rest of the world. Number one, you're going to have an appreciation for God's people. You'll appreciate God's people. Look now at the last part of verse one. He says, everyone who loves him, who begot also loves him, who is begotten of him. Let me read that in the New Living Translation. All of verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. You notice this is the point John has been driving home over and over and over again. If you say you love God, then you're going to love his kids. I mean, you can't say to some dad, Man, man, I really love you, but I hate your kids. I mean, man, they're terrible. No, if you really love the dad, you're going to want what's best for his kids. And all of us as Christians, we belong to one family. We're saved by God's grace. We're led by His Spirit. We share the blessings He's given to us. Therefore, we are under the same obligation to love and to love one another. John really seems to, to not be able to leave the subject of love alone, which really it's, it's a vital, important aspect of the Christian life. Remember when Jesus was asked, What is the greatest commandment? And He responded, he responded in Mark 12, 30 and 31, He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And then he said, the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. And then you remember someone asked him, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus went on to give the story of the Good Samaritan. But it's the same way. It's a question being anticipated here by John. Well, who is my brother that I am to love? Who is my brother that I am to get along with? The answer is everyone who is born again. Now, does that mean that we don't have to love the unbeliever? Yeah. I mean, no, it doesn't mean that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. No. It simply means love begins in the family. It begins in the family. Everyone born in the Spirit of God, into the family of God, is to be loved by everyone in the family. And that doesn't mean that we're always going to get along and agree with everything that they do, but you're still to show the love of Jesus by how we treat each other. And because of God's love, as we looked at a couple of weeks ago, then the closer I get to God, then the more His love is going to rub off on me and off on others, and I'm going to love His children. Then that's not to say that we don't have differences, and that some personalities are harder to get along with than others, but what it, what it does mean is that love covers all. Now, what about those differences? Some may say, well, I I really can't hang out with that person. Man, they just really bug me. I don't like to sit next to that person. Oh, oh, they get on my nerves. Oh, the way they sing. Oh, man, it just breaks my eardrums. I don't want to be near them. But think about what John is saying here. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. What was His commandment? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, when your loving action towards another Christian comes not from personal feelings, toward your brother or sister, but from an authentic love for God and a desire to obey His Word, then it's really the love that God wants us to have towards one another. It's a love that that speaks the truth in love towards one another. Maybe you faced a situation in your life before when someone wanted you to lie for them. They claim, Well, if you really love me, man, then you do this for me. And you knew that it would be a lie. Perhaps your fear of losing their friendship, or, 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 or maybe you thought it, you know, if you didn't do that, they might get angry with you. The truth is, if you love someone, you'll be unwilling to lie for them. Lying is harmful and destructive, and even if it causes someone to be upset on a temporary basis, it, it, it's not good. It's been said, love may seem cruel before it is kind. I like that. Love may be cruel before it's kind. Sometimes we need to speak the truth in love, but then sometimes we engage in little white lies. What is a white lie? Well, really, the bottom line is it's a way of pleasing yourself by avoiding displeasing others. But sometimes we, we, we stretch it a little about the way a person looks, or you say something nice that you think that, you, that they want to hear to get you out of lying. You know, they, they may say, uh, I you, well, how do I look? And you do your best not to lie. Oh, that dress, uh, it's you, you know, or how does my hair look today? Oh, man, you spent a whole lot of time on that, didn't you? You know, it's like, oh, so you avoid, you know, trying not to lie. But there are times, I think, you know, more serious things, we try to avoid other people's anger by using white lies. But what we're doing is really loving ourselves more than we love them. We don't want to hurt, want to be hurt by their reactions, so we avoid telling the truth. I think the bottom line is we do not love them enough to face the truth. And sometimes we can go for days and weeks and months or years doing things that offend others or saying things or refusing to confront problems, thinking we're doing it because we love that person. But that's not love if we refuse to face the truth. Truth delivers. Truth sets us free. Jesus said it, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. I think we often lose the chance to help people achieve freedom because we cover up the truth instead of speaking the truth in love. You know, we hear people sometimes, we hear, oh, Oh yeah, they're kind of not getting along with each other. They're, they're kind of they got this rift going on, this little tip that's been happening, and and, and I don't know what to do. with it. How tragic that stuff is! I mean, in the light of the cross, in the light of God's mercy and love and grace towards us, how can you have any bitterness or hatred or animosity or, unforg- or unforgiveness towards anyone? I, I love what Charles Spurgeon said on this. He said, "I come to the cross to be forgiven. I stay at the cross to be forgiving." Just to know that God's been so merciful and loving towards me and forgiving compels me that I need to be loving to others. I'm going to have a love for others. Now this brings us to our second point. If you're truly born again, you're going to have a rebirth mark. And that's going to be, number one, your appreciation for God's people. Number two, you're going to want to apply God's principles. You're going to want to apply God's principles. Look again at verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. See, John is tying all this together. If we love God, we're going to keep His commandments. We're going to do those things that are pleasing to Him. Verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. Again, God's commandment is to love Him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, to love our neighbor as ourselves. That's not hard to fathom. That's not hard to father. A person who claims to be born of God, you're part of God's family, and since His Word tells you how to live how to love, how to walk in light as he is in the light, that a true believer will want to then apply God's principles to his life. That's not going to be burdensome. It's something you want to do. That's like the little girl who was carrying a big, heavy baby was asked by this concerned woman, little girl, isn't that baby too heavy for you? The child replied, he's not heavy. He's my brother. A little groan there, but just see. It makes all the difference in the world when what you do is out of love. You'll desire to apply God's Word, God's principles in your life. Why? Because you love the Lord. John is saying that a child of God wants to keep His commandments. You're going to want to obey. You're going to want to do what He says. Now that can be a problem for some. You know, they obey the commandments of God they want to obey, and they want to throw out the others they they don't agree with. They want to obey some things from God's Word, but they don't, want, they don't like other things. And it's sort of, it's like the celestial salad bar, you know. They pick and choose the stuff they like, and they don't like. You know, when I go to a salad bar, I don't put everything on there on the plate. There are certain things I don't like. For instance, you will never, ever see a lima bean on my plate. It is just not going to happen. I hate them. Okay, you say, hate, you hate. It's a strong word, but I hate lima beans, okay. I have a hatred for them. I'll skip the three bean salad as well. Man, I'll heap it up with mushrooms and bell peppers and broccoli and anything else that's on there, but we're not going to have those beans on there. Certain things I like at a salad bar. Certain things I don't like. You know, I make my selection at the salad bar. Some people, they go to God and they say, well, I like this commandment. I don't like this. I like what he says here, but I don't like that. I'm not going to obey that one. I don't think it's relevant, So, so that doesn't apply to me. It doesn't work that way. Everything that God gives us in His Word is true. It's not for us to pick and choose what we like and what we don't like. Jesus said in John 15, 14, You are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. He didn't say, You are my friends if you do what you personally agree with. You know, or, You're my friends if you do whatsoever you find easy. No, whatever I command you. And notice that John says in verse 3 that His commands, again, they're not burdensome. In other words, it's something that we want to practice. It's not going to be difficult for us to do. So if you really know the Lord and you love Him, a rebirth mark will be that you find His commands are not burdensome. Again, because it's your desire to please the Lord. In fact, Jesus put it this way in Matthew eleven twenty eight: Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy... My burden is light. Isn't that an interesting thought, a burden being light? We don't think of burdens being light. It's almost like a contrary term, you know, contradictory terms. I have a burden, but my burden is light. But you see, when you love the Lord and you know the Lord, His burden, it's not a burden to keep His commandments. It's not. Now, I've been married to my wife for 38 years. On the day that I, I committed myself to her and, and she to me, I made a vow that for better, for worse, for, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and cherish, till death do us part. And she made a vow to me for skinny or fat, facial hair or no facial hair. And she has stood by those vows. So far. <laughs> but I also made a vow to her that I would be faithful to her and I would never be with any other woman. And I've kept that vow by the grace of God. And she has kept that vow to me. And let me tell you why I keep that vow. Number one, it's because of my desire to obey God. And then number two, because I love her. And, and, and it's my love for God and, and my love for her that keeps me faithful. It's obedience to God and a love for my wife. In the same way, if you love the Lord and you know the Lord can be blessed by your obedience, then why would you not want to be obedient? Why would you not want to bless the Lord? And that's a cool thing to realize that, that you can actually bless the Lord. I can delight the heart of God. I can bring joy to the heart of my God. Man, if you're a parent here this morning, you know how delighted you are when your children, when they obey you. You know how delighted you are when they express their love to you and you, and you don't even ask them to. Perhaps even when they don't want anything from you, when it's not Christmas time, because at Christmas time it's oh I love you, Dad. You are such a great dad, man. Wouldn't it be great to spend family, dad, father, son time together playing in the new Xbox you want to get me for Christmas. Christmas time they try and butter you up. But when they come to you and they hug you and they say, Dad, I just want to tell you how much I love you. Man, that blesses me. And they want nothing in return. I believe it's the same way with God. That that his heart really rejoices when you, for no other motive, no other reason, just from the depth of your heart, turn to God and say, Oh, Lord, I just want you to know I, I love you so much. And you mean what you say. And you think about how good he is and how, how merciful he is and how wonderful he is and what he's done for you and how kind he is and compassionate. And you're driving down the road and you're just thinking of these, these things. and going, Oh, Lord, I just love you so much. Are you worshiping the Lord here on Sunday morning, and and the song ends, and you're still in that place of worship, and you go, Oh, Lord, I just love you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. You crawl in the bed at night, get into the covers, and it's warm, and it's nice, and the pillow's soft, and you go, Oh, Lord, you're so good to me. So wonderful. I love you. See, what we do, we do out of love, and therefore His commandments are not burdensome. And we bless them when we show that love to Him. Maybe if you don't love the Lord as you ought to, obeying His commandments it would be a real hardship for you, a real drag on you, and something that, that you feel is ruining all of your fun. If that's the case, then you need to, to change your attitude. You need to fall in love again with Jesus Christ. They can turn your life around. Jesus said in John fourteen fifteen, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Do you love, love Him? Then you're going to obey His word. Remember John said in 1 John 2.5, If anyone obeys the word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know that we are in him. Now, of course, before I can obey his word, I have to know his word. I have to study his word. I have to get into the word. That means I have to make a commitment to myself, to Bible study, memorization, committing myself to learning the word of God. And sadly, there are many who have allegedly made a commitment to Christ have never learned how to study the Bible. They've never really spent any time in the word on a daily basis. Listen, if you don't have, have have the Word of God in your heart, you're going to be a sitting duck for the snares and the temptations of Satan. The Scripture tells us in Psalm 119, verse 11, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I think when I first came to Christ, I started to memorize verses from the Bible and, and, you know, some 37 years later, I still know those verses. They're still there. And I'm so glad I filled up some memory banks with something that's worthwhile than the other stuff that's in there. Know the Word of God. Let it get deeply ingrained into your mind and your heart. Paul wrote to young Timothy and said, Study to show yourself approved unto God a workman that does not need to be shamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. Get in the Word. Study the Word. Know the Word. Apply the Word. And that's a mark of someone who's truly born again, born of God. You're going to apply God's principles. This brings us to point number three. You're going to appropriate God's power you appropriate God's power. You know, it's that time of year again when we go to put up the Christmas lights. For me, personally, you guys may enjoy it. There's no more frustrating of a task that I have to do. Then I go, last year I did this. I I said, I'm going to buy lights that are going to last me this time. I spent the extra money. I bought the LED lights. I thought, okay, these are going to be great. They're going to last. I pulled them out last week. Plugged them in. They didn't work. So, you think, okay, it's got to be a fuse. So, you want to pop out that little fuse. So, you got to search all over your house to find a little screwdriver in order to pull back the little plug thing and pop that little fuse that's in there out. But then you realize you can't really pick up the fuse because your fingers are too big. So, then you find some tweezers. Then you finally get that little fuse out. And then you find the other fuse, the new one. And you put that in there. You plug it in. You plug it in. And it doesn't light up. No power going to it. Something's happening. So then you throw them all away and say, I'm not going to put up Christmas lights ever again. That's it. I'm done. Very frustrating. No. Then you say, Matthew, would you do this for me? Go do it. and He does it. No. Here's my point. Very frustrating. But we need the power of God in our lives to live in victory. And what we don't realize is it's already there. We need to appropriate it. And, and, and the same thing be true for those who seek to live the Lord without an appreciation for God's people Without applying God's principles, and certainly without appropriating God's power, you can be very, very frustrated. You see, again, what we don't realize is the power of God is already there. We just need to appropriate it. We need to plug it in all the way. Look now, verses 4 and 5. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is he who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Overcome. It's one of John's favorite words. In uh, 1 John 2, 13 and 14, he makes reference to overcoming the devil. He uses the word seven times in the book of Revelation to describe believers and the blessings that we will receive. Now, this is not, um, you know, super anointed, holy ghost-filled, devil-stomping, super Christian. Oh, I'm the overcomer, you know. You pull back the, the, the shirt and there's the, the big O on his chest. No, no, this is a description of every Christian. Every born-again believer. This is the name given to all Christians by virtue of the fact that they are born-again. They are overcomers. It's in our name. There's a story of a soldier in the army of Alexander the Great. He was accused of acting like a coward in the heat of a battle. When he should have been pressing forward, he was lagging behind. When Alexander approached him, the great general asked, What is your name? The man replied, Sir, my name is Alexander. The general looked him straight in the eye and said, Get in there and fight. Or change your name. See, God doesn't say that to us. He doesn't say change your name. But we do bear the name of Jesus. And, and, and we live in Him. And because of that, we need to live as overcomers. Because we can overcome. We have overcome. Now you may say, how? How can we be overcomers? I, I'm dealing with some pretty heavy things in my life right now. I'm feeling like I'm being, being torn apart. And, and I feel like I'm being overcome instead of being an overcomer. Listen, John tells us that. Look at verse 4. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. If you're born of God, past 10th tense, you've overcome the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. It's faith that saves us. It's faith that keeps us. We're saved by faith. We walk by faith. We're born children of God by faith in Jesus Christ, and the only way in which you and I will be able to overcome this world is by faith. What does it mean to overcome the world? A few things. Romans chapter eight verse thirty-six. In speaking to the Christians in Rome, Paul spoke of the tribulation and the distress and the the, the persecution and the famine. He said this in Romans eight thirty-seven. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Interesting word there, conqueror. It's the same word as overcome. Same Greek words, uh, "uper nikeo." In other words, we are are conquerors, overcomers to Him who loved us. And that certainly was true of the early church. Man, in the midst of of, of persecution, they stood firm. You read stories about their their uh, them filled with testimonies of the saints of have withstood great persecution. Hundred fifty million Christians were killed for their faith in Jesus Christ. But see, John here is using a word that's in the present tense, saying we overcome the world. Now he has used that in a couple places as well. First John chapter two verse fourteen, I have written to you fathers because you have known Him who was from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. There it is. One more time in 1 John 4, 5. You are of God, little children and have overcome them because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. See, John is saying there, you've overcome two things already. The world and Satan. The world in the sense of its worldly system, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Though it's real, very real, it doesn't completely overwhelm the life of the believer. And he says, you've overcome Satan. Why? Because the word of God abides in you. Then you say, Well, you know, Pastor Tom, I'm still hassled all the time by the devil. And I actually lose a few skirmishes now and then. Listen, join the crowd. We all do. You may not have total victory now over every single thing. That is, you're not flawless. Neither am I. But positionally, it's done. You've conquered it. Presently, exper- ex- experientially, now you're becoming more and more like Jesus. The battles are getting a little bit easier to win. The word, they're still not there. They're not overwhelming you because you learn the word of God more and more and you're experiencing more and more victories. Ultimately, though, you will win the battle. See, what I find, it's always good whenever you have the missiles firing at you, whenever you have those, those, those doubts of discouragement, the fiery darts of the wicked ones shot your way and you think, man, this is overwhelming. I'm being crushed by, by circumstances. I'm being crushed by the world. It's always good to skip to the back of the book to see how everything turns out. The story isn't over until you read one of the last chapters. Chapter 21 in the book of Revelation, you are written about with these words. 21, verse 7, Revelation, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Don't you just love that? We know how it's going to turn out. You don't have to live under circumstances, but above them as overcomers. I like what Paul wrote to the Romans. He said in Romans 16 20, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. That's going to be over very, very soon. And I say, Well, sounds simple, but I still see a lot of defeated believers. The divorce rate is up in the church. There are unwed mothers even in the church. There are people that struggle with drug and alcohol problems even in the church. There are people that that still seem to have a battle with sin, and it seems the world and the devil has a strong grip on them. Listen, I believe that's true for for two reasons. Unbelief and ignorance. Unbelief and ignorance. They're, They're not living in victory because of unbelief and ignorance. I don't want to make this too simplistic, but but listen carefully. Jesus said to the Pharisees, who thought they had it all together, He said to them, You err because you do not know Scriptures, nor the power of God. It's the same same thing, you know. It's related to, to unbelief, because whenever we don't believe that God loves us as much as He says He does, then we have fear. And that fear translates into not being overcomers. And where there's fear, there's no power. See, fear and, lo- and, and, and love, we saw last time together, they're mutually exclusive. When we're afraid, we start compromising. and We start giving in to fears. We have fear of men, fear of rejection, fear of, of success, fear of failure, fear of, of losing friends, fear of, of, of not having someone, fear of, of this or that. See, unbelief sets in. But praise God, as we looked at last time, Back in 1 in, in John, in chapter 4, verse 16, John said that we have known and believed the love that God has for us. And then went on to say that perfect love casts out all fear. So God's love casts out fear. That deals with the with the unbelief. And then people are just unaware. They're ignorant of their position in Christ. And because of that, they fail to appropriate the power of God. Listen to what Jesus said concerning uh, this. These are commanding offers. He says, these things I have spoken to you John 16, 33, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Because he has overcome the world, it's done. Yeah, again, we're still going to have those skirmishes here and there. And Satan's going to use those allurements of the world, and we're going to get bogged down, and we're going to fail, and we'll fall from time to time, but it doesn't crush us. We go on, we get up, and we move on. Why? Because the battle's already been won. At the cross, Jesus overcame the world for us at his resurrection. He proved it. As a a part of the family of God, we've been set free from the power of the world and the devil that he had over us. Praise the Lord. I want to share this story. It's from F.J. Hugel in his book, Forever um, Forever Triumphant. He tells a story that came out of World War II. He says that General Wainwright was captured by the Japanese. He was held prisoner in a Manchurian concentration camp. Cruelly treated, he became a broken, crushed, hopeless, starving man. Finally, the Japanese surrendered and the war ended. The United States Army colonel was then sent to to the camp to announce personally to the general that Japan had been defeated and that he was free and in command. After Wainwright heard the news, he returned to his quarters and was confronted by some guards who began to mistreat him as they had done in the past. Wainwright, however, with the news of the Allied victory, still fresh in his mind, declared with authority, No, I am in command here. These are my orders. Now F.J. Hugel made this application. He said this, Have you been informed of the victory of your Savior in the greatest conflict of the ages? Then rise up to assert your rights. Never again go under when the enemy comes to oppress. Claim the victory in Jesus' name. We must learn to stand on resurrection ground, reckoning dead the old creation life over which Satan has power, and now living in the new creation over which Satan has no power whatsoever. End quote. So as a Christian, we have rebirth marks. One of them is, you now are an overcomer, you've plugged into God's power. You're more than conquerors through him who loved us. Outside of Jesus Christ, man, you can be torn and crushed by this world system. But if you want a victorious, overcoming life, understand it's in Christ, it's in Jesus, it's in a relationship with Him. Yeah, the world is alluring. It's designed by the devil to crush us, but it doesn't have to. I'd like to close with the words from a Norwegian catechism book. I don't have the book. I heard a pastor quote it, and so I copied it down. It's a story about God briefing His children who are going to be sent out to this island called the earth, and this is what he says. Listen, he says, The greatest danger is that you may fall in love with this island so that you will not care to return to the home kingdom. Love the island because it, it is my possession, but do not love it because it is your home. It is not your home. Your home is here in the palace with me. I like that. You know, there's an old hymn called My Jesus, I Love Thee. And the third verse of the song and the words are this, I'll love thee in life I will love thee in death and praise thee as long as thou lendest me breath and say when the death dew lies cold on my brow if ever I love thee my Jesus tis now. See even in the face of death the future still looks bright for the believer because this world is not our home. We've overcome it. Why? Because you're a child of God. As a child of God you have certain rebirth marks. You appreciate God's people you apply God's principles you appropriate God's power. You will overcome. Finally, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, then you're not a part of the family of God. You're not been born again. Man, you're in a bad place today because <laughs> you're going to get hammered and you can continue to get hammered until you realize there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no life apart from Jesus Christ. If you've not had your sin forgiven, if you're not born again this morning, if you're not in the family of God, I would encourage you, don't leave here without making that commitment to Him. As soon as the service is over, in just a moment, the elders come up. They're up all the time for Sunday morning after service to pray with you and to to encourage you, anyone in the congregation. But if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ this morning, come up and talk to one of us. We'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ, to be a part of the family of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love and grace. Thank you, Lord, that you chose us. Of all these people in the world, Lord, you've chose us to open our eyes to see our need for you. And you've welcomed us into the family of God, that we are your children, your kids. Help us, Lord, as your kids, to get along with each other, Lord. Help us to love one another as you've called us to love. Lord, help us to... Uh, not only be in Your Word and be students of Your Word, but to take what we learn and apply it into our lives. The truth truth we've applied this morning, Lord, we've learned this morning, help us to apply them to our life today. Look for those around us that we can show Your love to, kindness to. As Your Word says, they they know we are Christians by the love that we have one for another. And I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here that is yet to be a part of uh, Your family, the family of God, we pray that they would make that commitment today to follow you. And so, Lord, as we go our way this week, as we get ready for the celebration of your son's birth, Lord, we pray that you'd give us the boldness to let people know why we celebrate, who we celebrate, and what they can do in their lives if they come to know him as Lord and Savior. So thank you for this time, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand and we'll do one final song together.